Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I am doing really well. We got to do something really exciting yesterday. Yesterday. My brain is (laughs) gone. We can't give the details, not because we're trying to tease it in a way of like, stay here, stay tuned here for the next new, you know, the next cool thing we're doing. But also do that. (laughs) But also, while we're here, why am I doing this? Um, But also, we're not really allowed to speak about it yet. But it was amazing. It was such a cool experience. It was super cool. And I know that both of us have spent the last several weeks just panicking and over-preparing for this thing that we did that we can't talk about. But we will talk about very, very soon. I'm (laughs) realizing how boring this has to be to listen to. I know. They're like, great. So basically nothing. You're not telling us anything. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) But it was really awesome. It was nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. So like in person. Yes. So that was really cool. And if you check out our, I think, Instagram and Facebook, we put a couple pictures on there. There's a picture of me and Mandy, and Mandy said it's the best picture we've ever taken together. It It is. It is. It absolutely is. And somebody commented on the height and doesn't even realize you were wearing heels and I was wearing (laughs) tennis shoes. (laughs) Yeah. I noticed uh, we got lots of lovely comments on uh, the photo that we posted on social media. And I feel like one of the most common ones I saw was that a lot of people were shocked to see that I have blonde hair now. Yeah, And everyone's like, why did I picture Mandy as a brunette? Um, 
and you're not crazy. It's because I am actually a natural brunette, but I went blonde and I've been blonde for about a year or so. Yeah, that was a little shocking. I think for some people were like, wait a minute, like, who is that? Who's that person? I know. I know. I was like, yeah, no, she was blonde, but like you or you were a brunette, but you can pull off either. I could not go brunette. It would not look right on me, but you've been able to really rock it with blonde. So you're doing quite well. well. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So yeah, that was, if you want to look at that, those pictures are up there. Only nice comments, please. Um, Only nice ones. Yes. Only nice ones. Um, (laughs) My self-esteem can't handle anything else. So Mandy, that was exciting, but I am ready to get into the story this week. This is a crazy one. It really is. It is. So we have talked about at least one other angel of death story on the podcast. And I have to say, as far as real life horrors go, this whole idea that a medical professional would intentionally cause harm to a vulnerable patient is really high on my list of worst case scenarios. In the context of true crime, an angel of death is a nurse that uses their power and access to medication to intentionally kill the patients in their care. We'd like to think this is something that would never happen, but the truth is there are several of these types of stories out there, each of them just as horrifying as the next. In February of 2021, we did an episode on the famous angel of death nurse named Orville Lynn Majors, who was found responsible for a string of ICU deaths that were all tied back to him. Today, we're going to talk about another suspicious string of deaths that occurred in patients at a Lufkin, Texas, DaVita Dialysis Center. It was on April 1st, 2008, when the first mysterious deaths occurred at the clinic. 68-year-old Thelma Metcalf and 77-year-old Clara Strange both had their routine scheduled dialysis treatments that day. Patients that receive dialysis often go for this treatment three times a week. Dialysis is meant to remove waste and excess fluid from the blood due to improperly functioning kidneys that are unable to do this on their own. It's a treatment for kidney failure that people start getting when their kidney function is about 85 to 90% gone. And without a kidney transplant, the patient will need this treatment for the duration of their life. The average life expectancy for someone on dialysis is 5 to 10 years, but there are plenty of cases of people living for up to 30 years. The DeVita company and its clinics have treated over 200,000 dialysis patients across 10 different countries. This actual treatment can take three to four hours, but it really depends on the person's kidney function, their weight, the amount of waste in their body, and more. For patients Thelma Metcalf and Clara Strange, this was a routine occurrence that had been long been a part of their day-to-day lives, and although it was tedious, it was necessary to preserve their health. On April 1st, Clara began her treatment with nothing being out of the ordinary. At some point, though, she did complain about shortness of breath and she was given oxygen, and she seemed to be okay for a few hours. At some point, the patient care technician who was watching over her, a man named Whirlin Guillory, stepped out for a break and a different tech named Kim Sines took over watching his patients. But by the time Whirlin returned to complete his shift, his patient Clara Strange was unconscious and unresponsive. Clara was then transported to a local hospital where she later died. Clara was a Texan native who had grown up in Lufkin and remained there for most of her life. She retired from Lufkin State School, where she had worked at for years. Although her husband had already passed by the time Clara died, those that knew her said she was a very loving and devoted wife, mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother who loved to quilt and cook. Clara's dialysis lines later tested positive for bleach, but Clara's blood was not tested for evidence of chlorine exposure. She ultimately died of cardiac arrest. Although this seems like a bizarre one-off tragedy that wouldn't ordinarily generate a ton of attention, 
It's what happened after Clara was found unresponsive that starts to look more suspicious. About 30 minutes after Clara Strange was found clinging to life, another patient at the clinic was experiencing the exact same symptoms. Thelma Metcalf was another Texas native who was described much in the same way that Clara was. She was a devoted mom, wife, grandma, and great-grandmother who really loved spending her time with her family. She was also found at the clinic in an unresponsive state with no pulse, and she was not breathing. Thelma was a patient of Kim's signs that day, and when she was alerted to the fact that her patient was unresponsive, she began performing CPR. But she wasn't actually doing it correctly, so another technician named Corey Smith took over. Thelma was also transported to the hospital where she was unable to be revived and was pronounced dead. Her dialysis lines also tested positive for bleach, but just like Clara, no one tested her blood for the biomarkers of chlorine. The common denominator between these two sudden and unexplained patient deaths was Kimberly Sines. Kimberly Sines was born Kimberly Clark Fowler on November 3, 1973 in Angelina County, Texas. At the time of her birth, Kim's mom and dad were very young. They were 17 and 21, respectively. Exactly three years later, Kim's little brother, William, was born, and the two were raised in a working-class family in Lufkin. Her dad worked at Rush Truck Center, and her mom worked at Walmart. Although Kim's parents tried really hard to instill religious values and morals in their children, things didn't go exactly as planned once they grew up. Both Kim and William went on to have some problems with the law that eventually led to criminal records, which we'll touch more on later. It's worth noting here that the crime rate in Lufkin, Texas is pretty high. The murder rate is relatively low with an average of just one murder per year, but overall the total crime rate is actually higher than the national average. When Kimberly wasn't getting herself into trouble, she played softball and dabbled in cheerleading. She was really good at sports, but she just never applied herself or worked as hard as the other students. She was very quiet, sometimes even described as morose, and generally just didn't really seem to fit in with her peers. Mandy, would anyone ever describe you as morose? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> it's a great word to use though, right? I love it. It is. Yeah. It really gives you a feel for what somebody is like when, when they're described that way. But yeah, I don't think that's a word that anyone would ever <laughs> use to describe me. So Kim didn't always aspire to become a healthcare worker. That idea actually didn't come to be until 1999. But long before that, when Kim was still in high school in 1990, She began dating a senior named Chris Hopper, who she became infatuated with. At the time they met, Kim was a sophomore in high school. When Chris graduated, Kim's focus on him and only him became even more intense. She stopped all of her extracurricular activities, and the only thing that she was interested in at all was her relationship with this guy, Chris. Before her senior year even began, Kim gave birth to Chris's baby, It was a boy that they named Jacob Hopper on July 26, 1991. Rumors flew that Kim purposely got pregnant in order to trap Chris because she knew that she had it really good with him. He was the complete opposite of her. He was very driven and motivated and really, really bright. A lot of people that knew the couple said that Chris was always Mr. Right while Kim was Mrs. Wrong. Oof. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Those are some harsh words. They are. (laughs) But despite that, these two were married on September 9th, 1991, and Kim was just 17 years old at the time, and Chris was 19. The marriage did last several years before ending in divorce in 1997. 
Following this divorce, Kim got a job with Fleetwood Transportation Services, where she worked for a few years. On September 9, 1999, Kim was rushed to a hospital in Lufkin, where it was learned that she had a severe case of pneumonia. She had to be transferred to a Houston hospital because she was in such critical condition that the small Lufkin hospital couldn't appropriately treat her. Kim was legitimately so sick at this point that her condition was described as being near death. Luckily, Kim recovered and seemed to emerge from her illness with a new lease on life. She became a Christian after this experience. After returning to work at Fleetwood Transportation, Kim met Kevin Sines, a co-worker who had recently relocated to Lufkin from Houston. Kevin was 31 years old at the time, and Kim was 27. Before they knew it, Kim was pregnant, and six months into the pregnancy, they got married in mid-2000. A few weeks after the wedding, Kim quit her job at Fleetwood Transportation, and we believe that during this time she was a stay-at-home mom. Kimberly and Kevin's daughter was born in December of 2000. After a couple years at home, Kim decided she wanted to go back to work, but this time she wanted to try something different. She enrolled herself in Angelina Community College's nursing program and earned a license as a vocational nurse, an LVN. An LVN is the same thing as an LPN, a licensed practical nurse, but in Texas and California, they call it LVN, and they work under registered nurses and doctors and provide basic care to patients like monitoring vital signs, dressing wounds, administering medications, and starting IVs. After getting her license, Kim started working at Memorial Hospital in Lufkin, but Five months later, she switched jobs and started working at Woodland Heights Hospital, the only other hospital in Lufkin. Two months after starting this job, Kim was caught stealing Demerol and was actually fired, and this was in August of 2005. There were some even more disturbing records that Kim had given Demerol to patients who were not in pain and had no need for the drug. After her termination, Kim looked for other nursing jobs. Now, it might seem like she really wouldn't be able to find one considering the reasons that she was terminated from the hospital, but there were actually no infractions on her nursing license at this time because the Texas State Board of Nursing had still yet to investigate the Demerol theft, and infractions aren't allowed to be listed until the charges have actually been investigated. Also, employers in Texas are only allowed to reveal whether or not they would hire someone back, but they can't state the reasons why they wouldn't. If they wouldn't, they can't say, oh, mm. it was because she did X, Y, Z. They can only say, yeah, she worked for us, and no, she would not be welcome to come back working right. for us. So because of these uh, things, Kimberly was actually able to secure another nursing job at Right Choice Home Health. In the early days of starting this job, Kim was pleasant and responsible. She was always on time, and she seemed to really take pride in and enjoy the job. But over time, things began to change. She started showing up late to work, and she would never call in or let anybody know that she was running late, and sometimes she just wouldn't show up at all. When she did show up, she was often in a really bad mood. Because of her declining performance on the job, Kim eventually was terminated from her position, which kicked off a bout of depression that got the attention of her husband, Kevin. Kevin was concerned about Kim's mental state, so he started taking her to Brentwood Hospital in Shreveport, Louisiana for treatment. She was admitted for depression and suicidal thoughts. After she was released from the facility, Kim applied to work at Lufkin State School, a state-supported living facility for people with developmental and mental disabilities. But once again, this was a very short-lived position. 
She was hired on October 1st, 2006 and fired on October 31st, with the reason being cited as, quote, she was not suited for her assigned position. By the end of November, Kim had secured her fifth nursing job in one year. Wow. Yeah. She started working for Children's Clinic of Lufkin, and that seemed to be going okay for a while. But in March of 2007, Kim's bad habits caught up to her, and she was written up at work for missing a total of eight and a half days, all no-call, no-shows. A week later, she was fired. She did apply for unemployment, but she was denied. It's clear that Kim's issues were escalating in 2007. Um, In June, she and Kevin got into an argument, and when he tried to leave, Kim went after him, and a domestic dispute broke out. And Kevin suffered an injury, and the police were called. Kim ended up getting arrested for public intoxication and criminal trespassing, and she was charged with misdemeanor assault. She spent one night in jail for this, and her husband put a protective order against her, but the two of them were eventually able to work things out. In August of 2007, Kim was hired at the DaVita Dialysis Center. At this point, the state still had not investigated the stolen Demerol allegations, so her license still did not show any infractions. We have no way of knowing how many of Kim's previous employers were contacted, but it seems pretty lucky for Kim that she was able to get this job after being terminated from a handful of nursing jobs within the last year. That's two years, though, that they still haven't investigated this. Yeah. That's that's pretty wild and seems just absolutely completely wrong. If you're even going to look into it, it should not take two years when this person can actively seek other employment. For sure. So either way, though, according to Kevin, Kim was looking at this new job at DeVita as a godsend. She went through 10 weeks of training when she got hired in the fall of 2007. In the following spring, DeVita patients Thelma Metcalf and Clara Strange died under suspicious circumstances while Kim was on staff and responsible. And we're going to get into a lot more of the story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Sleep is something I took for granted when I was growing up. The idea of a nap as a kid sounded like absolute torture. But now, as an adult, it's something I enthusiastically look forward to. I could plan my whole day around a nap. And thanks to my sleep number bed, I'm sleeping better than ever. Having a good night's sleep means I'm less burnt out, have more energy, and even have less cravings. And I've discovered that my perfect sleep number setting is a 30. But occasionally, I even go down to a 25 for an even softer, fluffier experience. I always wake up feeling like I got the best night of sleep, and my sleep IQ score of 87 confirms that I am sleeping better than ever. My son still has trouble sleeping, so a lot of times I just lay in his room at the beginning of the night, but as soon as he's asleep, I beeline it out of there and hop in my sleep number bed where I'm sleeping at a 25 this week. It feels like sleeping in my own little soft cocoon. And with a sleep IQ of almost 90 this week, I know my bed is basically magic. Why choose proven quality sleep from sleep number? Because every great day starts the night before. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash moms. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Mandy and I have talked about the Enneagram before, and I am definitely a six, a loyalist, but basically a worrier. I worry about things that will happen, may happen, and even scenarios I've created in my head. And still other times, I even worry that I'm worrying too much. But with my BetterHelp therapist, I'm working on staying in problem-solving mode instead of the, oh no, everything is a complete disaster mode. For a warrior like me, learning how to move my anxiety from fear to solutions is invaluable. And if you've been considering therapy but aren't sure where to start, BetterHelp is a really great option. 
Not only is it affordable, but it's convenient and entirely on the internet, so there's no waiting rooms or lines or driving involved. Plus, BetterHelp wants to get you matched to a therapist that understands your needs and goals. So after filling out a brief survey, you'll be matched to a BetterHelp therapist, but you always have the option to change therapists if you'd like. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash moms. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were speaking about these two patients at the DeVita Dialysis Center who passed away under unusual circumstances and this nurse, Kim Sines, who had recently started working there. So the day after these two deaths, DeVita Clinical Coordinator Amy Clinton went to the DeVita location where the deaths happened to look into things and to manage procedures. The purpose for her visit was really to take a look at the circumstances that surrounded these two sudden cardiac arrests. While she was there, Amy made several policy changes that were meant to minimize the risk and protect against another death at the clinic. These changes included reassigning the tasks that nurses were to complete on their shifts, which made it so that some of the nurses were exclusively administering medication while others exclusively cleaned up and monitored the clinic. She also switched over to single-use dialysers and individual monitors for the patients. But even in light of these changes, strange things kept happening to patients at the clinic. On April 15th, which was a little more than two weeks after the first two deaths, a 58-year-old named Garland Kelly arrived at the clinic for treatment. His patient care technician was an employee named Sharon Dearman, and the nurse assigned to administer medication was Kim. After hours on dialysis, Sharon Dearman heard Garland's machine going off, and when she went to check on the patient, she found Kim standing next to Garland, who was now unresponsive. Sharon began CPR and instructed Kim to get help. Garland was taken to the hospital where he was successfully resuscitated, but he never regained consciousness. He died just a short time later. His dialysis lines tested positive for bleach, and so did the syringe that was attached to the dialysis line. His blood also tested positive for the biomarker. So his, as opposed to the other two who had passed away, they actually did test his blood for this biomarker of chlorine. And these bizarre occurrences just continued. On the same day that Garland went unconscious, so did another patient named Graciela. She lost consciousness at the clinic, but there were some questions over whether or not she may have choked on the gum she was chewing. The paramedics that responded didn't seem to remember anything blocking Graciela's airway, but the hospital documentation said they did remove gum from her airway. She was diagnosed at the hospital with pneumonia and admitted that she did already have pneumonia before her visit to the clinic. Her dialysis line was tested for bleach, but it was inconclusive, although her blood did test positive for the biomarker. She also had elevated levels of enzyme LDH, which is produced when hemolysis occurs. And one way that hemolysis occurs is when bleach contacts blood. Unfortunately, Graciela began suffering from memory loss and had to start using oxygen after this happened. Days later, on April 22nd, yet another patient at the clinic suffered a sudden cardiac arrest. 64-year-old Cora Bryant had specific needs due to issues with her blood clotting, so her care technician, Martha Mann, replaced her dialysis lines and got her started. Martha then went on break, and while she was out, Cora's machine alarm started going off, which indicates that blood has stopped flowing to the patient. 
Another employee at the clinic named Candace Lackey witnessed Kim attempting to reset this patient's machine. At this time, Candace noted that the patient was in stable condition and was up watching TV. Candace went over and restarted the blood flow to the patient. And at that point, Cora said, what are you giving me? And then she turned her head to one side and immediately went into cardiac arrest. Cora was taken to the hospital, but ended up passing away about three months later. Her dialysis lines did test negative for bleach, but her blood was positive for the biomarker and she had elevated levels of LDH. Her levels were 20 to 27 times higher than what would be expected of somebody who experienced a cardiac arrest naturally. On April 23rd, another patient, Marie Bradley, was taken from the clinic to the hospital after suffering a severe drop in blood pressure. It was noted in her chart that Kim had given Marie medication that day. Marie was unconscious for three and a half days, and when she woke up, she had no memory of what happened to her at the DeVita Dialysis Clinic. Her dialysis line was also positive for bleach, and so was a syringe containing Zemplar that was supposed to be used on Marie on April 23rd. Her blood tested positive for the biomarker, and she also had elevated levels of LDH. I wonder how quickly they're getting this information back on these levels, like to show that the bleach is in the... I would think that 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 would come back pretty quickly, honestly, whenever they do lab work, especially when you're in the hospital, they run your labs and they have them, you know, pretty much that day, I think. Right. But even the... um the lines, that's where I'm thinking, like, how are we seeing so much bleach in this? And right. still just like, today's another day. Let's keep going and see what happens. Right. And not looking into, you know, why, like what's going on. Right. Even if you're thinking maybe there's faulty, like cleaning practices Equipment in somebody's, yeah. right, or that the machine is not getting rinsed thoroughly after being cleaned and there's still traces of bleach. That's still something that you want to look into and, you know, get with your employees and be like, hey, we need to make sure we're flushing these lines very well and the patients aren't getting sick from having something going in that they're not supposed to have. So, yeah, it definitely seems odd that they wouldn't immediately be like, we need to stop everything until we find out what's going on here. For sure. And as if these instances weren't suspicious enough, two more patients at the clinic died under the same type of circumstances. On April 26, it was 91-year-old Opal Few who went unresponsive about 30 minutes into her dialysis treatment. She was taken to the hospital where it was learned that she too had suffered cardiac arrest, and she died later that day. One employee of the clinic said that she didn't think Kim was working that day, but a nurse said that Kim was working and that Kim was told to give Opal her medication that day. Later on, the nurse noticed that Opal's chart didn't show where Kim had actually given the medication. But when Kim was questioned about this, she said it was her mistake, and she put down that she gave Opal her Zimplar medication at 9.05 a.m. However, this contradicted what Kim had written on another patient's chart. She said she was removing dialysis lines at 9 a.m., but that took more than five minutes, so there's no way she had administered this medication to Opal Few at the same time. As with other patients, Opal's dialysis lines tested positive for bleach, and so did a syringe found in the Sharps container that was labeled for Opal. Opal's blood, though, was not tested. On the same day that Opal died, Kim charted that she gave another patient, Deborah Oates, her medication. Hours later, Deborah asked Kim what she had given her because she had a strange taste in her mouth. And these people, keep in mind, are getting dialysis three times a week. If anything is different, they're going to figure it out. You know, they're going to know something's going on. Right away. You ever had, like, if you have a CT and they do contrast, like, the first thing they tell you is, you're going to feel like you feed yourself. 
because of the medication they give you. And you do, you feel like you absolutely have peed yourself and they'll say you taste, it'll taste like copper in your mouth. Like you have a penny or whatever. So when these things are happening to these patients, they know something is not right. This is not the normal thing that's happening to them. So the nurse overseeing things that day, Sharon Smith, witnessed Kim giving Deborah something with a syringe, which she then disposed of in the Sharps container. Deborah then has a drop in blood pressure, chest pains, trouble breathing, and really sadly, she said she felt like her bones were being crushed. She began vomiting and her access site wouldn't stop bleeding. She was taken to the hospital where she stayed for a few days and recovered. Her blood tested positive for the same biomarker as the other patients and her LDH levels were elevated as well. Interestingly, Deborah had a similar experience in January of 2008 and spent time in the hospital as well. Two days after these final two incidents on April 28th, the clinical coordinator we mentioned earlier, Amy Clinton, informed Kim that she would now be working as a patient care technician for the day. Kim became visibly upset by this reassignment, and some of the other employees saw her become teary-eyed. Evidently, Kim had this idea in her head that patient care technician was a job that was just beneath her, and she was upset that she had to take that role for the day. But even with all eyes on the clinic, even more patients became seriously ill or witnessed Kim engaging in suspicious or bizarre activity. One patient named Carolyn began flopping in her chair during dialysis, and her body temperature spiked. She was given oxygen and saline, but she didn't need to go to the hospital. Her lines were never tested. On the same day, two different patients actually saw Kim make a bleach solution, which she then poured into a bucket that was sitting on the floor, and she used a syringe to draw some of the solution out, which she then injected into two patients' IV lines before discarding the syringes into the Sharps container. Can you imagine sitting there getting your dialysis and watching this go on? What is this woman doing? Yeah. Yeah, what is going on? But obviously thinking like, she works here, this is a good clinic, you know, I'm, I'm overreacting or this isn't normal, but maybe they've had to change their procedures. You know, you just don't know. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a scary thing. So these two witnesses told Amy Clinton um, about what they saw and they expressed their concern because as we said, Kim's working there and she's also assigned to take care of them. So they said that while Kim was doing all of this bucket mixing and pulling pulling whatever the solution was into a syringe, she looked really nervous. And she also looked nervous while she was injecting whatever this was into the other patients. As soon as Amy heard about this, she immediately confronted Kim. And Kim said she was just cleaning the lines of a vacant dialysis machine with the bleach solution, and she only used the syringes to get a precise measurement. And she said that she did not give any patients medication or inject anything into anyone's IV lines. But despite her denial of these events, Kim was sent home for the day while Amy investigated exactly what was going on. She took the Sharps container and tested these syringes that were inside of it for bleach, and she used these testing strips that they keep on hand that are meant to test the dialysis machines for bleach residue in the water lines. So three of the syringes that were in the container actually tested positive for bleach. At this point, Amy Clinton decided it was time to alert higher authorities, and she contacted her supervisors as well as the CDC and the Texas Department of Health. The very next day, DeVita called for a mandatory meeting, which all employees showed up for except Kim, who said she was at her daughter's field day at school. One of her coworkers named Worland explained to her that this is a mandatory meeting and that she could be fired for not showing up. But Kim really didn't seem to see any urgency. She simply said, okay. 
This same coworker went to see Kim after the meeting, and he was surprised to see that Kim looked unkempt, which was really out of the ordinary for her. And even more strangely, she seemed to not even recognize Worland. When Worland went up to her, Kim immediately started crying and said, quote, I didn't kill those people, end quote. He said she seemed hopeless and lost, which really confused Worland because at this point, no one's accusing her or anyone else of killing anyone. So Kim is terminated from DeVita later that day. We aren't sure exactly why, but it probably had to do with missing this meeting, uh, this mandatory meeting in combination with all of the other suspicious activity that had gone on while she was at work. The DeVita clinic was also shut down for investigations, and after two weeks, they released a statement saying, quote, We believe the events that led to our voluntary closing the Lufkin Dialysis Center were the result of a criminal act by an individual who has been terminated and is no longer working at the center, end quote. Which, okay, great, you made a statement, but now I'm worried about your hiring practices if you have hired someone who ended up committing this criminal act. Obviously, you can't know that somebody's going to do this kind of thing, but this feels like very much a, let's just sweep this under the rug. Right. <laughs> we'll figure it out, but don't ask questions. So the center remained closed for a couple of months and reopened on July 2nd, 2008. Later on the same day that Kim was fired, she was also interviewed by police. In many ways, Kim played the victim and pretended she had no idea how any of these things happened to her. She was very upset that she'd been accused by two patients of injecting bleach into two other patients' IV lines, and she was really unable to speak rationally or logically. Kim said she was scared to go to work now and that she had been doing everything by the book. When officers asked Kim what her thoughts were on all these deaths at the clinic, Kim offered up the idea that the deaths could be related to bleach being in the patient's IV lines. Kim was actually the first person to ever suggest this as even a possible explanation. The police had never mentioned bleach to her at all. Kim admitted that she did break protocol on occasion, but that it was nothing serious. She said sometimes she would use syringes instead of medicine cups just to measure the bleach. She specifically said, quote, I just have a habit of pushing the bleach because I just, I don't know when it was last done and I don't want to kill my patients, end quote. What a weird thing to say. It really is. It, you, I feel like you would say like, I don't want to harm my patients. I don't right. want to. But I don't want so, anyone to get sick or something like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's very strange. Exactly. But the DeVita employees and the police weren't really the only ones that were concerned and interested in this recent string of deaths at the clinic. At some point in April, while all this was going on, a fire official sent an anonymous letter to the state health department asking for them to investigate this clinic because, according to this letter, this fire official wrote, quote, in the last two weeks, we have transported 16 patients. This seems a little abnormal and disturbing to my med crews. Could these calls be investigated by you? So obviously, like, this is alarming, right? There's red flags going off because... You know it's serious when the paramedics are like, hey, we don't normally go to this place and transport patients like right. this many times, so maybe somebody should look into what's going on there. Upon further investigation, it was learned that the paramedics had actually been called to the clinic about 30 times in April 2008 Whoa. alone. So to put that into perspective, as I said, very abnormal. Prior to the uh, month of April, this clinic only had called the paramedics twice in 15 months. So definitely to be called out 30 times is very, very alarming. But that's so many times, like even for the clinic to not have realized right. something is wrong. We have only called two times in 15 months and now we're like by 15 calls, 
in the month, you'd think, shut it down. We got to figure this out. Right. An official investigation was launched into exactly what was going on. And through this investigation, it was learned that there was no evidence that proved Kim would ever have a reason to put bleach into the syringes. There was no proof that there was ever a lack of medicine cups for measuring available or anything like that. They're saying like, we went, we saw what what was at the clinic and there was no reason that she should have been mixing bleach in a bucket and using a syringe to do any type of cleaning of the machines. That's not how it's done. FDA officials also found that samples that were taken from blood tubing, IV bags, and syringes used by DaVita patients tested positive for bleach, while others showed that bleach may have been present at one time or another. So this really isn't a big red flag or a big deal in itself. As we said, the water-diluted bleach solution is used to clean DaVita clinics, and the machines are also cleaned with bleach internally once a week. But after bleach is used, there are chemical reactive agents used to confirm that the bleach residue has been completely removed. The health department found dozens of errors at DaVita regarding the disinfecting logs. There were incomplete or undated entries on these logs. As for Kim... Her home computers were seized and searched, and this included two laptops and two desktops from her parents' house. These computer searches revealed that on April 2nd, 2008, so early in the month of April, Kim searched on Yahoo for bleach poisoning at about 4.15 a.m. She had searched the same term about a month earlier and also searched bleach given during dialysis, can bleach be detected in dialysis lines, and dialysis patients' symptoms of bleach infusion. Yeah. So we are going to get into the rest of this shocking story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I'm someone who likes to know a little about everything, but there are those certain things I'd like to be well-versed in. And that's why Masterclass is perfect for people like me. I can take classes from David Sedaris all about storytelling and humor one day, and the next day I could be learning how to bake the perfect chocolate chip cookie from Joanne Chang. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn how to draw and paint realistic portraits from Devin Rodriguez, improve your knife skills from Gordon Ramsay, or learn comedy from Steve Martin. With over 150 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I'm into the brioche lesson of my baking classes with Joanne Chang, and I have already learned so much. I had no idea how many iterations of delicious treats I could make by just learning one basic recipe. Having the ability to sneak in 10-minute lessons here and there is really incredible. And with more than 11-plus categories and over 150 instructors, there is so much out there for you to learn from some of your favorite people today. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as a Moms and Murder listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash moms and murder now. That's masterclass.com slash moms and murder for 15% off Masterclass. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One NA, member FDIC. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between – 
DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Kim's signs and her conversations with police and how at this point, medical personnel have come to DeVita's over 30 times in just one single month. And with that, 34-year-old Kim Sines was arrested on May 30th, 2008. She was charged with two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon for those two bleach injections on April 28th, the ones that were actually witnessed by other patients. And for these offenses, she had bail set at $200,000, which she was able to pay and she was released. But the investigation into all the deaths in the month of April at DeVita continued. Finally, a year after the gruesome string of patient deaths, Kim was indicted on April 1st, 2009. She was officially being charged with one count of capital murder of multiple persons and five counts of aggravated assault. The capital murder charge stated that Kim killed at least two out of five victims. The five victims recognized in this indictment were Clara Strange, Thelma Metcalf, Opal Few, Garland Kelly, and Cora Bryant. The aggravated assault charges were for the assaults against Marva Roan, Carolyn Rissinger, Deborah Oates, and Graciela Castaneda, and Marie Bradley. On April 2nd, 2009, Kim turned herself in, but a week later, she posted a $500,000 bond and was released again. Despite being out on bond and awaiting trial, guess what? Kim has the audacity to apply for a nursing job in 2009. I mean, but at this point, she's getting away with it. Of course she's doing something like this. But it is wild to me that she got out on bail twice. This is insane. Yeah. So doing this, applying for this job, actually violated her parole terms. Instead of listing her previous nursing jobs, the ones she was fired from, on the application for this job, she only listed the roofing company that she had worked at years before she ever became a nurse. Kim's trial finally began in March of 2012 in Angelina County, Texas, with State District Judge Barry Bryant overseeing. District Attorney Clyde Harrington and Assistant DA Christopher Tortoris were the prosecutors. 
They told the jury that Kim had killed five patients at the DaVita clinic by injecting bleach into their dialysis lines in April 2008, and that every single patient who died had direct contact with Kim. All of the evidence against Kim was laid out for jurors to analyze. Kim's defense attorneys were Ryan Deaton and Stephen Taylor. Deaton had this reputation for really stretching the truth. They told the jury that Kim had no motive to kill, and she was good and compassionate as a nurse, and she was very well-liked. They alleged that Kim was being used as a scapegoat for the clinic's faulty procedures. They also alleged that evidence against Kim was fabricated. They said that she wasn't at the clinic every single time a patient went into cardiac arrest. They theorized that bleach may not have even been what caused these patients to get sick and die because, quote, chest pain and cardiac arrest are not specific to bleach infusion. Kim did not take the stand at her trial, but a recording of her police interview and a recording of her testimony at a grand jury hearing was played for the jurors. In this recording, Kim was heard saying that she felt like she was being railroaded by DeVita and said that she would never inject bleach into a patient. She specifically referenced one instance where she claimed to have injected one of the victim's machines with saline because it was clotting off and needed to be flushed. Kim said that she told Amy Clinton about this, and Amy allegedly told her not to worry about it and to go take her lunch break. Kim said that she then looked up bleach poisoning to see if this was what was happening at the clinic and what the side effects would be if it were happening. She said that after Davida brought in these new monitors, she became more nervous and took extra precautions with the bleach. She said that before the new monitors came, employees would just mix bleach and water in a bucket and then bleach the machines. But with the new machines, they were having them do everything by the book. Good. They should be doing everything (laughs) by the book. My gosh. (laughs) So because a medicine cup wasn't around, the proper procedure, she said, was to use a syringe. And because the needle couldn't reach the bleach in the bottle, she said that's why she poured bleach into one container, drew the bleach out with a syringe, and then put it into a second container And in the second container, she would mix the bleach with water. Definitely does not sound like a legitimate practice at a medical facility. No. 59 people testified at Kim's trial. Many of them testified about all the things we shared in this episode, but there was also testimony that further shows Kim's dark side. A coworker testified that Kim didn't even like her job at DaVita, and she often talked about how she didn't like some of the patients. All of the patients that Kim said she didn't like went on to have a medical emergency or died. Other employees testified about the company's policy on cleaning the equipment. They said they were to use measuring cups to measure the correct amount of bleach, and they never used syringes. Two employees actually said it was common to use syringes, but their testimony was outweighed by the majority who said it wasn't a thing they were supposed to be doing. An expert testified that injecting bleach into the bloodstream could cause cardiac arrest and trouble breathing. Other symptoms could include falling blood pressure, rapid heartbeat, or stopping the heart entirely. Dr. Mark Schwartz, who is a toxicology expert for the CDC, testified that each of the victims died due to having bleach injected into their dialysis ports. He also testified that it was impossible to measure the amount of bleach in a person's blood because bleach converts into hypochlorous acid too quickly, damaging the patient's organs and tissues. Another doctor testified that he'd only seen two patients die while undergoing dialysis in his 12 years as a nephrologist. He said the odds of cardiac arrest in this situation are extremely low, a 0.007% chance. In total, the trial lasted for 17 days with 59 witnesses speaking and nearly 400 exhibits being brought in as evidence. 
Finally, on March 30th, 2012, after 14 hours of deliberating, Kim was found guilty on three counts of aggravated assault in the cases of Marva Roan, Deborah Oates, and Marie Bradley. She was found not guilty on two counts of aggravated assault. She was also found guilty of capital murder. They said that she was guilty of killing at least two of the victims. When Kim's verdict was read, she gasped, and her dad, who was in the courtroom, buried his face in his hands. In this case, the jury had to unanimously vote to find Kim guilty of killing at least two out of the five victims, but they didn't have to agree on which two victims they were. Just in general, they only had to agree that she was responsible for at least two of them. On April 2nd, the jury deliberated for another 45 minutes to decide Kim's fate. In the end, the jury decided not to give Kim the death penalty because they felt that she would not present a future danger of violence, which that's mind-blowing because how can you say that somebody who is willing to do these things like isn't a danger to other people? And it's so, it feels so at random. Yeah, they said that she didn't like these people, but it's not like when you hear of a crime of passion where it's like, well, yeah, the person killed this person, but they were never going to kill someone else. Not that right. obviously that's right. But right. this is kind of like she was having a bad day and this person got on her nerves and she had a little bleach and she did it. I feel like she's much more dangerous Way more than dangerous. a lot of other yeah. people. Yeah. So instead, she was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility for parole, and she was given 20 years for each of those counts of aggravated assault. In January of 2014, the Texas Court of Appeals, San Antonio, affirmed Kim's conviction and overruled her 21 appeal issues. Some of her appeals issues included things like ineffective assistance of counsel, insufficiency of evidence, improper exclusion of evidence, and more. Also included was an allegation that the jury was unable to come to a unanimous verdict. They tried to appeal because of the fact that the jurors weren't required to agree on which two victims were killed by Kim, which could have meant that Kim was denied her right to a unanimous verdict because of a flawed jury instruction. I actually do find that interesting that it didn't matter Me too. who had died in there. And I can see that being a very good point for the defense. Ultimately, though, the court found that her sentence did not establish egregious harm and the trial court's decision was reaffirmed. Kim is currently at the Mountain View Prison in Gatesville, Texas, where she is serving a life sentence without parole. Since these events took place, there is a new policy at DeVita where the water is tested every day before the machines are set up. This is such a mind-blowing story because, as I said in the beginning, it's hard to imagine that anybody in this position of being a caretaker would ever intentionally do something like this to right. harm you know, people who are vulnerable, they're getting treatment, they're on dialysis. Like, this is so awful. And of course, a lot of people that are on dialysis are elderly, which, you know, right. for me is always like, don't mess with the elderly You're already people. mad. Like, Come on, I'm already mad. Yeah, I'm already mad. So absolutely um, do believe that Kim had something to do with all of these illnesses and deaths that happened at that clinic. And I fully think that she is where she belongs behind bars. No, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. It's just so wild to, and then she worked with kids before that. Like, yeah, that's how scary. long was this in her head to want to do this and yeah. to take action on it? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. She is definitely where she needs to be. All right, Melissa, let's turn the page and do a last thing before we go. Sounds great. So this week we are pulling one more from our post a few weeks back on Facebook and Instagram. And Alice Wood suggested that we play 20 questions. Whoever guesses correctly, the quickest wins. 
last thing before we go. So we're going to have a competitive version of last thing before we go because we didn't use our brains enough yesterday, Mandy, in the super secret thing we did. (laughs) (laughs) So I have something and you have something and who do you want to start guessing first? It's just yes or no questions. Whoever gets it first within 20 questions wins. Just keep track of it. I will go first. Okay. So you want to ask me questions? Right. I will ask you questions. Okay, so I'm going to keep track of how many you do. Go ahead. Is it a person? No. <laughs> is it – okay, is your thing brown? Can be. It can be brown. Okay. Yes, yeah, probably. Is it candy? No. Is it an animal? No. <laughs> <laughs> is it something that you would find outside? Yes. A stick. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know I'm better at this than that. No. Okay. It can be brown and it can be found outside. Let's see. Is it, and it's not an animal. Right. Is it a plant? No. I have no idea, Melissa. Let's see. You got is more it, things. I am really terrible at this game. I, I'm out of questions. What What other questions do you ask? Get more specific. <laughs> like, can you find it in certain places? Like, I know you said it's outside, but outside's a big world, Mandy. Outside is a big world. Okay. Can, is it, it, do you find it in a tree? No. Is it on the ground? Can be. (laughs) Ask some more like this. You're getting closer. This is not helpful. Um, Is it under the ground? No. That cold. That was not a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is this thing, is it warm? (laughs) (laughs) No. What is your guess if it was warm? If I would have said warm, what would you have guessed? I don't know because you already said it's not an animal. So keep thinking of locations outside. Keep thinking of things outside and yards and stuff like that. Is it a – oh, can you use it in the pool? Yes. Okay. Is it a float? No. (laughs) Um, You're in the right family. Is it a toy? Yes. Let's see. Is this, would adults use this? Yes. (laughs) I have no idea. Is it a noodle? Yes, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) I had to keep you from going to an underworld, but you got it. I don't know if I've ever seen a brown pool noodle. I don't either. I I mean, it could happen. That that is not the one that screwed you up. That threw me off. That is not the one that screwed you up. Being underground, I was like, where are we going? What is, what is happening? Okay, Mandy, you got it in 16. That was great. Oh, wow. You're keeping track. Okay, I guess. Yeah, you got to keep track? track. Oh, I have to keep track. Okay. Or I can keep track. It doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. Mandy, is yours a thing? It is a thing. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, like the sarcasm right away. <laughs> can you find it inside? You can. Can you find it outside? Yes. Okay. Come on. Is it alive? Yes. Is it an animal? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Do you find it on a farm? It could be on a farm. Do you find it at someone's house? Well, yes. Commonly. <laughs> Not just yours. Would I have it at my house? You might. Okay. Does it bark? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the new puppy you're getting today? It's the new puppy I'm getting today. <laughs> <laughs> I 
crushed you. <laughs> you totally did crush me. I knew mine was going to be very easy, especially because you already knew I was getting a puppy. So I you, did. You kind of had that in your mind a little bit subconsciously. Yeah, I'm getting a new puppy today, right now. I'm about to go and leave as soon as we get off of this um, recording. And I'm super excited. I'm excited for you. So, okay, first of all, um, what are you naming the puppy? So the new puppy is going to be a little chocolate miniature pincher, and uh, this will be the second time I've had a min pin. I had a black and rust colored one several, several years ago um, before my kids were even born. And now I'm getting a chocolate min pin, and we are naming her Reese because she looks like a little peanut butter cup to me, and I think that's the perfect name for her. That is such a cute name. I love it. And then in more important news, I crushed you um, with a 9 to 16. So um, <laughs> that's that's the top story. The yes, dog Melissa thing wins. is a second story. No, I'm just there kidding. I'm excited for you. <laughs> I'm excited for you. Send me pictures. Can't wait to see it. You'll have to post it on social media as well. Everyone loves to see our little pups. Absolutely. All right, Melissa. Well, thanks for joining me again this week to tell another tale. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much. <laughs>